please be seated. You can open your Bible to Colossians. We'll look at chapter 1, starting in verse 24 through uh, chapter 2, verse 5. So uh, in our series on Colossians so far, uh, Paul is exhorting the Colossians to um, think clearly about the gospel as the way to grow as a Christian. Um, the gospel uh, it means good news, right? Um, good news is usually we, we consider it well, right? We, uh, it's, it's the word of Christ, it's the word of grace, it's generally heartwarming and it evokes a positive response. Uh, it's kind of cheer-inspiring thoughts when you hear good news, right? Uh, but make no mistake, the Christian life uh, being centered on the gospel is not a mushy one, right? It's not one that's disconnected from uh, hard reality. It's not an easy life. Um, it's not a life without suffering. Maybe uh, somewhere along the line you got the idea that when you became a Christian, since the gospel is about love and Jesus, the Son of God, and heaven, and good promises, um, that life would become easier. But being a gospel-centered Christian does not make life easier. If anything, it makes it harder. So as Paul is going along in his letter to the Colossians, in case you got the wrong idea about that, Paul's going to make sure we understand that growing in the gospel, um, when it's a gospel about a suffering Savior, it means our suffering too. Um, but in case that's discouraging, you're also supposed to know that the good news is so good that it means that even our suffering for the gospel is totally worth it. Um, it's totally worthwhile. It's even worth our rejoicing in it. That's what Paul says. So, it must be some pretty good news if it means all that. Um, so let's, uh, let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, sometimes that simple prayer of thanksgiving seems rote, trite, but uh, without your word, we would be utterly without hope. We would not know you. We would be estranged from you. We'd be hostile towards you in our mind and doing evil deeds. And uh, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that comes to us in your word that is clearly revealed to us in the scriptures that we get to celebrate, that, um, that transforms us from the inside out. And so we pray that you would do the work that only you can do this morning by your Holy Spirit, using your word to change us and make us more like Christ, who is our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches 
of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, like I said, uh, being a Christian uh, means that we're actually firmly grounded in reality, right? And the reality is that this is a broken world. Um, It's a broken world. There are a lot of ways for people to suffer. We suffer the consequences of our sins. We suffer uh, tragedies and we grieve. Uh, We suffer illnesses and injuries, disabilities, physical weakness, aging itself is suffering. We suffer mentally, emotionally, relationally. We suffer in poverty. We suffer in conflict and in war. We suffer through our own faults. We suffer at the hands of others. And sometimes we suffer for no apparent reason. And any suffering of ours can be a test of our faith. It's a test of whether we cling uh, to the hope and the presence of Christ through this suffering or whether we don't, right? Um, All Christian suffering may be in Christ. All Christian suffering may be with Christ. And the New Testament says that we should rejoice when we encounter all these kinds of trials because God uses them in our lives to produce Christ's likeness, to make us more like Christ. And uh, with any kind of suffering we encounter, there's potential then to bear witness to the comfort of the gospel, to the hope that's found in the gospel, to the the love of God that's seen in the gospel. So in any kind of suffering, we may rejoice and we may glorify God. But Paul is, uh, here he's talking about a very specific kind of suffering. It's a very narrow, uh, narrow kind of suffering. It's suffering for the sake of the gospel. It's suffering not just in Christ and with Christ, it's suffering for Christ. And he says it's even suffering for his body, the church. Um, so this m- might still pertain to things like stubbing your toe um, if you did that on the way to preaching the gospel somewhere, <laughs> right? Um, <clears throat> Paul, personally, when he wrote this letter to the Colossians, he, he was in prison, right? He was in prison for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ pretty much everywhere he went on his missionary journeys uh, he involved uh, some sort of suffering for the gospel, right? His preaching landed him in prison. It uh, got him beaten and left for dead, got him ridiculed, shipwrecked, um, impoverished, ultimately got him killed, right? as with the other apostles. Um, it got him killed, his preaching. If he had not been a minister of the gospel, if he had not been planting churches, if he hadn't been telling people about the risen Lord Jesus, then he would not have experienced these sufferings. Um, So these sufferings of his were sufferings for the sake of the gospel. And the way that he puts it is, it's for your sake. He's talking to the church in Colossae in verse 24, for your sake. So there's a sense in which Paul suffered for the church, maybe even uh, on behalf of the church or instead of the church as he was imprisoned. And you you can kind of see that um, today when missionaries or pastors of churches in places where it's forbidden to gather as the church, uh, who gets dragged off to prison when, when the cops break in? It's the pastor, right? And they kind of leave all the other 
people alone, but, um, but the one who's preaching goes and is suffering for, in, in prison, suffering for, suffering uh, on behalf of the body of Christ, the church. So, um, so when was the last time you suffered for the sake of the gospel? Um, I know some of you have suffered a lot lately in a lot of ways and have found the peace of Christ through your sufferings and you've glorified God well through uh, your sufferings. Um, but when was the last time you could draw a, di- a direct connection between gospel ministry and your suffering? And I'm, I'm not talking about my gospel ministry and your suffering, right? Um, I'm talking about your gospel ministry. When was the last time you suffered for the sake of the gospel? Can you think of a time? I mean, it's hard for me to think of a time, and it's, it's my full-time job to do this, right? Um, but if you can think of a time when you suffered for the sake of the gospel, did you rejoice in that suffering? Or, um, like most of us usually do when we suffer, just complain about it? So I hate to say it, but if you're a Christian, you are called to suffer for the sake of the gospel, and not only to suffer, but to do it with, with joy. Right? Um, <clears throat> Jesus said that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, the cross, for Jesus, it was the instrument of um, oppression and humiliation and torture and death through which Jesus accomplished the gospel, right? The good news is only true because there was a cross and Jesus hung on it. The only person who never deserved to die, he died under God's righteous anger in our place so that we who do deserve to die for our sin, for our rebellion against God, uh, so that we could live forever with God. That's the heart of the gospel, right? Uh, And the cross was the instrument through which Jesus Christ accomplished it. Without the cross, you don't have a gospel. And our cross, if we're imitating him, our, our oppression, our humiliation, torture, uh, even our death, our suffering for the sake of the gospel, our suffering for his body, the church, is the instrument through which Jesus Christ extends his gospel. Right. Um, that's what Jesus said to Paul uh, or he said about Paul, he was talking to Ananias in Acts chapter 9, hopefully you're familiar with the story. Um, Paul is going around from city to city persecuting the church. Uh, Jesus Christ encounters him, knocks him off his horse, um, tells him to go and wait. And then, then Jesus appears in a vision to Ananias and says this about Paul. And it, Sorry, I'm using the word Paul. His name was Saul back then, and uh, so I'll probably use those interchangeably. Uh, But Jesus appeared in a vision in a dream to Ananias, and he says about Saul that he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, this was not Jesus being vindictive, because Paul used to persecute his church. I'm going to show him how much he's got to suffer for what he did, right? This, this was Jesus being merciful to Paul. This was Jesus being gracious and loving and generous to Paul, bringing him in 
to a fuller joy in the gospel, bringing him into ministry to suffer for the sake of his name going forth to the nations. Right? <clears throat> um, so in our text, he says, Paul writes, uh, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So it sounds uh, almost borderline blasphemous to us when Paul says that he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. As if to imply that somehow Christ's afflictions, his suffering was deficient. It was not enough to save his people, his body, the church. That is not what Paul is saying and uh, John Piper actually has a, a good sermon on this, uh, and he sums it up well. I'll read a paragraph from, from it. He says, What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they're deficient in worth or merit, as though they could not sufficiently cover the sins of all who believe. What is lacking is that the infinite value of Christ's afflictions are not known in the world. There's still a mystery hidden to most people's. And God's intention is that the mystery be revealed, extending to all the Gentiles, so the afflictions are lacking in the sense that they're not seen and known among the nations. They must be carried by ministers of the word, and those ministers of the word fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ by extending them to others. And then uh, N.T. Wright, quoting Piper and N.T. Wright back-to-back is a little bit funny, but... um, If you don't know what I mean by that, we'll talk about it in sermon discussion. But uh, N.T. Wright says, this is not to be seen as an addition to the king's own suffering. Rather, it is to be seen as an extension of it. As an extension of it. Our sufferings extend the atoning sufferings of Christ. Our sufferings do not atone for anyone's sin. We extend uh, the gospel through our personal presentation of the suffering Savior. We extend the gospel through our own suffering. And, and this is true. We actually do this. It's called Christ's afflictions in our afflictions. It's called Christ's suffering in our suffering because the gospel's true, because the good news is that Christ is in you. The good news is that you are in Christ, that we enjoy a mystical spiritual union with the Son of God so that if we suffer as his body, he suffers. Our afflictions are his afflictions. And that's what Jesus said, again, at Saul's conversion. You know, Saul used to ride from city to city, persecuting Christians, even to death. And when the risen Lord Jesus blasted him off his horse in order to turn his life around and, uh, and save him and make him his follower, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul never laid a hand on Jesus. He was in heaven, untouchable. But he persecuted his followers, the church, even to death. And so Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Christians were suffering at Saul's hand for being Christians. They were suffering for the sake of the gospel. And these sufferings were the sufferings of Christ himself, who is united to his people through the Spirit. And these are the sufferings that Paul himself would come to know in his own union with the Son of God through faith, which is why the promise of his suffering doesn't sound like good news to anybody, really, but the promise of his suffering was good news because it's cause for him to rejoice. He's united to the Son of God. And um, these sufferings of Paul's, Christ's own sufferings through his people, they're the means 
through which the gospel is advanced in the world. Because you cannot have a crucified Savior, you cannot follow a crucified Christ and proclaim that Christ and that gospel in a happy-go-lucky, carefree way, living your best life now. If your life is truly shaped by the gospel, and if, if the gospel is your message, then yours will be a cruciform life because it's a cruciform gospel. You've got a cruciform Savior. Right, the more you press into Him, the more you know God through Christ, the more you dwell on how much it costs God to save you, the more that you grow in the gospel, then the more you'll proclaim the gospel, the more you'll, you'll share in Christ's own mission, the more you'll want to make known to others His grace, His costly grace, and His glory, and the more you'll pick up your cross as an instrument of that proclamation. Um, The means of our proclamation has to correspond with the message that we proclaim. And the message that we proclaim is that, like it says in Hebrews 12, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus suffered for the gospel with joy, And he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. So we too must suffer for the gospel with joy. Paul wanted the Colossians to know that he suffered for their sake, for the sake of the gospel among them. He says uh, later in in the book of Colossians, in chapter 4, remember my chains. He's offering himself as an example for them to follow. And Tim Keller says that Paul calls all Christians not to be afraid of rejection or criticism or worse but to be open about their faith. And this is really hard because suffering for the sake of the gospel is, after all, suffering. We're not pretending that it's anything else, even if we're saying that you're supposed to rejoice in it. It doesn't erase the fact that it's suffering. When you're open about your faith, at the very least, it's stressful. At the very least, it can be the risk of embarrassment. Sometimes you're mocked quietly. Sometimes you're mocked loudly. That hurts, right? Sometimes you lose relationships with people. Sometimes those people seek your downfall actively. And aside from the physical and emotional and relational difficulty of suffering, just the bare fact of suffering plays tricks with your mind, right? Um, And it tests your faith. Because it's tempting to think, if I'm suffering, I must be doing something wrong. So you start second-guessing yourself, or you start second-guessing the gospel, wondering whether God really does love you, or whether he's abandoned you, or maybe he's punishing you through this suffering. But he has not abandoned you. His good promises to be with you, to never leave you or forsake you, they're guaranteed by the blood of Christ. That will never change. But suffering for the sake of the gospel, if you're a Christian, that's just how the world is now. Right? Um, if, you, if you've put your faith in Christ, he has saved you out of the world. But he hasn't taken you out of the world, and he hasn't yet transformed the entire world. Right? Uh, trying to come up with an analogy, and it's a poor one, very limited but it's like the world is a great river. And before you were a Christian, you used to be swimming heartily with the current, right? No problem. 
But when you were united to Christ by faith, you started swimming against the current. And, um, and that's hard, swimming against the current of the whole world. Right? All the momentum of the whole world against you because you're in Christ, because you're united to him by faith. And one day when Jesus returns, he's going to reverse the flow of the whole river. Right? He's going to fix it all. He's going to set the whole world back right. But until then, we're fighting upstream as his witnesses in the world. And if you're really latching on to Christ, you're fighting upstream against the current of the whole world. And we can be joyful about these kinds of trials because it, it's all to be with Christ. It's all to know him, the Son of God. It's all to make him known. We can rejoice because our sufferings can lead to people's salvation, can lead to their reconciliation to God. If you want to give your life to something that lasts, even if it costs you, even if it costs you everything, then you want, with Paul, to struggle with all the energy of Christ that he's powerfully working within you to proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom to present everyone mature in Christ. That's what God wants. Right? God wants people to know the mystery of his salvation, which is not a conspiratorial plan. It's not a secret timetable. The mystery of God's salvation, it says twice in our text, is a person. It's Christ. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is not a, a tenuous hope, this hope of glory. Remember, the Christian hope is not the way, um, we don't define it the way the world defines hope, which is, man, I really hope, I really wish, maybe something will happen. I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but uh, the Christian hope is a sure hope. If Christ is in you, then glory is yours. Future glory is yours because of him. The good news about Jesus is a wealth of glory. It's a wealth of glory to the saints because, as we saw last week, in Christ we have everything. And as our text says in chapter 2, verse 3, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right, so, so take Christ. Take the hope of glory. Take all these treasures in him to the people who are around you. That's what you're called to do as a Christian. These people around you, they're just like you. They don't deserve salvation. Right? Um, but God wants them to know Christ. And if he does, then so will we, if we belong to Christ. And if we do belong to Christ, then we will put ourselves in the line of fire. We will pick up our various crosses, even daily, as Jesus says, to suffer for the sake of the gospel, to suffer for the sake of Christ's body growing and maturing in the world. We'll take the chance. We'll risk rejection. And we'll invite our non-Christian friends to church to hear the gospel. We'll drop our lifestyle down a notch or two to give our monies to missionaries um, who are taking the gospel far away from here. We'll look for opportunities to share the gospel with others, and when we see them, when we see these opportunities by God's grace, we'll take those opportunities. We're not just going to let them pass by. And we'll encourage our kids also to look for those opportunities in school. And we'll warn everyone, and we'll teach everyone and we'll set aside the American notion of retirement and we'll become missionaries ourselves in those last years of our lives. And we'll risk our relationships and our jobs and our reputations 
our comfort, even our lives, to get to know Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings as we proclaim him and his grace. Let me close with this quote uh, in the beginning of the bulletin from N.T. Wright. Who ever heard of a crucified Jew being Lord of the world? People like us don't believe this sort of thing. And people who do may be making trouble for themselves. The church is the body of the crucified Messiah. That body continues to suffer because reconciliation is a costly business. Christ does not promise us immunity from affliction. He promises only that he will be with us in it. And that's why it is our pleasure and our joy to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are the sure hope that we have awaiting for us at the end of this life or when Jesus Christ returns, we get to know you fully and forever face to face uh, without any of our sin or any other obstacle coming in between you and us. And we look forward to that day. We pray that you would hasten that day, um, even if it means that you take us home sooner. You would hasten the day when we see you face to face because it is our great joy to know you through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that joy, we pray, by your Holy Spirit would compel us, that it would drive us to uh, do all things for the sake of your gospel, to, to warn everyone and teach everyone to proclaim Christ as our hope to everyone that we encounter. Help us always to be thinking of your gospel, to always be thinking of our relationships, not that we would use our relationships uh, but that we would enter more deeply into our relationships in order to bless other people with the gospel of grace, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what we may suffer for it. We pray that you would help us and strengthen us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to come to the table, let's stand and confess our faith together uh, from uh, reading Colossians chapter 